0: This Wellness Couch Podcast proudly brought to you by the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus Podcast hosted by food scientist Cribben Govender. If you're fascinated by all things gut health, the microbiome, fermented foods, mental health, mitochondrial health, and more, then search for the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus Podcast on your favorite podcast app and get listening.
1: TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within.
0: I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Cindy O'Mara.
1: And guys, OMG. Today's guest is really going to blow your socks off and blow your mind. We've got a woman who comes to us from the States today. So this beautiful woman is up and it's 1.30 in the morning for her. So we are so, so grateful that she's been able to join us on the show today. But you know what? I actually think today's show is going to be a culmination of just about everything we've ever spoken about, but, you know, put into real life terms because today, We have the amazing Rena Weiner on the show. Now, if you haven't heard of Rena, you're about to, and you're about to discover everything that I guess we talk about, but you're going to hear it from a woman who is and has lived this actual philosophy that I guess Cindy, Kim, and myself talk about, where it's all about really being your own health advocate and really standing for, you know, um, asking questions being curious, being educated, and being willing to do your own research. And lo and behold, here we have an amazing woman who has written her book on a subject that's so dear and near to our hearts. So listeners, listen up. If you're running, stop. If you're doing your groceries or if you're vacuuming, stop. You are absolutely going to want to hang off every word that we're about to share with you. Trust your doctor, but not that much. Be Your Own Best Healthcare Advocate is the title of the book written by Rena Weiner. Guys, honestly, we are so grateful to have this woman on our show. Rena has gone through her own personal journey, but it, what really strikes me as amazing, and I can't wait to ask this question <laughs> Rena comes from a really professional background where she's worked um, as a former oncology representative, a national oncology trainer a nursing instructor, and as now a a patient in remission. So it strikes me as remarkably poignant that here comes a woman that's worked in that industry and then goes through her own personal journey and comes out the other side talking about her own experiences and having those difficult conversations. Rena, I'm going to stop (laughs) because I think you're amazing. Thank you for being a part of the show. Welcome to Up for a Chat.
0: Yes, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, glad to be here with you.
1: Thank you for writing such a spectacular book, and we're going to get into the details of what you've written in your book. But I'm going to ask Kim's question, and then I'm going to throw it over to you, Cindy, because I know you've got a, a million questions to ask, Rina. how tell us about your own personal journey leading up to writing this book, because it's to me it's incredibly curious that you would be... In such an industry, and you would have chosen such an industry and then to find yourself going down
2: your own individual path.
1: Tell us about tell us about how you got here.
2: Well, it was really serendipitous, I would have to say, that I started working in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, initially as a just as they call it flex time rep, and then got into oncology and worked as a representative for a pharmaceutical company and then became the National Oncology Trainer and Nursing Instructor and then uh, started having problems with my health. And the experience and some of the knowledge that I gained while working has really helped guide me and taught me that asking questions is really essential to your good health care and to your healing. And so I decided that my experience from both the professional and the personal would truly, help, hopefully, help another person who is going through it. And so I sat down and wrote the book. Took a little time, um, but I I did have the time to reflect on what I thought would be useful, and and so I did. I just put it out there, and I can see that there have been comments from people who have I hope been able to use some of the little tips and suggestions to make their way on their own healthcare journey, whatever their journey is because everyone is different and everybody has the need to clarify with their physician or or whatever healthcare professional they work with. So
0: that is me and that's the book. Mm, sounds absolutely wonderful, Rena, And I think so many times we do trust our doctor, but we trust them to the point where we just do everything that they tell us to do. And one of the things that uh, I know I teach is that, you know, if, if your doctor says, and this is just an example, um, you know, if your doctor says, well, you have high cholesterol, go on these statin drugs um, and, that, and stop eating butter and eat margarine. You know, that's, that was the usual thing that happened. And so I would then give a whole bunch of questions for people to ask that would challenge the doctor more often than not because they didn't have those answers. So what I want to ask you is that when you were diagnosed with cancer, what were the questions that you asked your doctor?
2: That's a very good question. I did ask a, a lot about the illness. My very first question was when I knew that the disease was moving along because for years I had a kind of a precursor to it, so I knew there was an abnormality. But at that point, it wasn't cancer. But when I knew that it was getting closer to that actual diagnosis, my first question was: Is there a clinical trial that would be appropriate for me? Uh, because I, my job was to talk about clinical trials with physicians and nurses and pharmacists and just about anybody who would listen, uh, I wanted to participate because I feel that research is the way to move medicine forward. So that was one of the first questions. And then, of course, in addition to uh, the types of treatment that would be available, what would be my expectations as far as what I would experience with the treatment, uh, more details about the disease that I wasn't already familiar with. But I do encourage people to try to do as much research as they can on their own two reliable sites, not just somebody saying, this is what happened to me, but someone somewhere on the internet that you can get very valuable, helpful information. So I asked some questions about that. I get in touch besides the doctor with support groups, with foundations that would support me through the treatment, but also provide me with the information that I felt I needed in order to feel confident that I was moving in the right direction. So that's really
0: where I started with the clinical trials research question. I have a a question around... One of the first things that you said, and that was go to a reputable site, and and the reason I have this question is that I'm having a little bit of a debate with a friend on climate change at the moment, and both of us have come up with some research from reputable journeys that are opposing. So the first hmm. one is from National Geographic, and it talks about the Antarctic, um, the Ross Ice Shelf, not. Um, melting and the other one is saying it is melting so how how do you do that how do you decide is it national geographics or science today that i should be or science daily that i should be looking at who's right and who's wrong they're both opposing they're both talking about the same ice shelf they're both saying the exact opposite so this is i'm someone who researches all the time rena And I'm confused. I don't know which one to believe. So please tell us and the lay people that how do we find a reputable, how do you know it's reputable anymore? It seems so much fake news out there.
2: Well, that's true and it is very confusing for people, especially when it's a new diagnosis. You're very scared. A lot of times you're really not feeling well. And the combination of the responsibility to know what you're talking about and know which site to choose that will be information, you know, like they used to say, news you can use, that same type of site. So what I have done when it comes to medicine is I would go to sites that like, let's say, oh, for cancer, Memorial Sloan Kettering, I would go to WebMD, I would go to Johns Hopkins, the Cleveland Clinic, and Foundations. So you can Google the foundation uh, that pertains to your illness. Not necessarily cancer, but it can be. Uh, but sorry, if you have a problem with the diabetes, if you have a problem with skin disorder, it, and so many different disorders, there are support groups and foundations, and they will guide you. They will definitely give you more information that are clinically trial-related data. Uh They will... Really connect you with the who's who, I should say. So I wouldn't rely, as you say, just on National Geographic versus the other uh, journal. I would look at several. And when I see that the data is mounting with um, evidence that these are more informative sites, more reliable sites, more sites that you can trust, and I know there are several of them, then I know them likely moving in the right direction. And some of it is you trust yourself too. What are you willing to do to get better? That's part of, of your healing as well, your own personal input and and your own sense of uh, what you choose because there are choices. Everybody I think, has
1: I think I agree with you there. I, I, I And Cindy's question I think is so spot on. There's so much information out there that – um you know, is it, based on people's opinion, and other information is based on pharmaceutical backgrounds, and others based on medical backgrounds, and other based on alternative health. And it's just, you know, when somebody is newly diagnosed with something, they there's a there is a lot of fear, and you don't know where to go. That, you know, I, I just I, I I'm curious from your own perspective, Rena, how much of your own um, treatment decisions were based on, uh, you know, the information that you gleaned versus your own intuitive um, guidance in terms of what you felt was going to work best for you?
2: Well, uh, like I said, I started with a clinical trial search. And because I had worked in the industry, I was familiar with in the United States is the National Institute of Health which is the biggest research institute in the world. And that is in Bethesda, Maryland. And then they have all these divisions, 27, I believe. And they're one that is devoted to cancer. So I knew that if I went there, that would be what I like to call the latest and the greatest, not necessarily that you're going to find the cure or, you know, the magic treatment, but you will find dedicated researchers who are going to offer you the option of trying something new that could work for you, and mm. I looked at the, the data. I spent a lot of researchers who spend tons of times, tons of time with you, so they will answer all your questions because they really are hoping that they will have people participate in the research, and therefore, hopefully, 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 find a new treatment that will then benefit many of the people who were diagnosed after you. So I, I just, like I said, I trusted the institution. I was glad to be part of the research and just just knew it was the right place. But, you know, you know as well as you can know. There are no guarantees. You, you learn that you get the information that you can, and then you step into it. You know, that's the only thing I can say. You just have to trust somewhat, trust yourself, trust some of the information and learn to realize that you can make some educated choices and, and let it go at that.
1: And even just that approach is going straight to a research, um, you know, whether they're doing medical research. Uh, uh, uh. I'm fascinated by that, obviously because of your experience. That was obviously your first, your first choice. But you know, it's interesting. I wonder how many other people, when they're diagnosed with different illnesses, think to go to a research facility as their first port of call.
2: You know, they don't. No, because it's just they the don't know. You know, yes. uh, it's not that I'm so super duper smart. It's just that I worked in that field, so I became familiar with research. Uh, But if you go to the community physician, who I'm sure is competent, but they don't have the staff or the time to often get involved in research, then they don't tell the patient. And they then the patient is usually pretty anxious, especially when it's a serious illness, that they want to get treatment, they want to get better, they want to go on with their life. So they go to Whomever is recommended to them, sometimes by another physician, sometimes by a friend, and they start treatment with that physician, generally without the knowledge of, of research and clinical trials. That's why, really, part one of the chapters in my book, Trust Your Doctor, but not that much, well, Best Healthcare Advocate, is all about clinical trials. And I do speak about trials to people who have already been treated, so it's uh, advantageous if you get into a trial early on before you have any treatment, but then there are plenty of trials that are would be available to you should you qualify, because there's lots of rules and regulations about them, uh, that you can be a patient of when you have been treated with other treatments, drugs, medications, and so forth. Uh, but But you're right, most people really don't know anything about that and you know I I wish that there were more opportunities for me to talk to people about it um, but you know you do you do everything that you can and there are there are good treatments out there besides research I just have like a personal bias because I think like I said they help you probably and they uh, have the opportunity to help other people who will be diagnosed after you because when somebody has a serious illness and they go to the doctor, they want the best that's out there. And then if there's no research, then everybody gets the same product, you know, that their friend, their mother, their grandmother had. And, uh, it's usually okay. But like I said, my sense is that research is the way to move forward, the way for medicine
0: to move forward. So, I'm intrigued that you did do the res you know, you went for a clinical trial because, and, and what you said was that you would help other people. So I just want to go back a little bit and ask you a question about your work in uh, the pharmaceutical industry and that you were on, in oncology. So you would have known the best treatments for your disease, yet you went for a clinical trial for something new. Is that because you didn't see the results in what was happening for your disease or um, was there another reason why you went for a clinical trial? Because I would have thought if something was working, why wouldn't you just go there? But it, if it's not working, then you want to look for something new. So what happened there, Reena?
2: Well, there are good treatments that are currently available to patients. But they're always seeking new information that will work even better than the current one. And as you know, I'm sure, when there are different phases of clinical trials, and the phase three is the trial that compares the current treatment that's available to the new one. And so it's just a way to say, hmm, is this new treatment any better, any more effective? Uh, as far as progression free survival in cancer I'm talking about, in overall survival, uh you know, just general quality of life. Is this better or is the current treatment better? And if this new treatment is better, well, then that offers people a new option to try. So it's not that I I found out that the current treatment was not, useful, helpful, and effective. But I thought, hmm, maybe there is something else. And there was, as a matter of fact, one of the current treatments. I had multiple myeloma, which is a blood cancer. The current treatment that was available at the time that I started treatment, which was seven years ago, the one of the side effects of the product was neuropathy. And people find that very uncomfortable. And it's sometimes disabling. And so I thought, is there some product out there that doesn't cause that side effect? And this product that I went on the first trial, because it been on four trials already, that product did not cause the neuropathy. And I thought, well, that would be something that I would be interested in because once you get the neuropathy, it usually stays with you. And if there's a way to avoid it, with a medication that is just as effective, if not more, then why would I not want to try that?
0: So that's what I did. True. Could you explain to our listeners what neuropathy is? Neuropathy
2: is, uh, well, neuro being nerve, apathy being disease, uh, that, that the nerves are impacted. So people have in their, a lot of times in their hands and feet, they can have it elsewhere, but that's often the, the, those two locations that are most common. And people have tingling. Uh, they have pain, you know, in their fingers, in their toes, in their feet, in their hands. And it can affect the uh, usefulness of of those appendages. So it can be really, really uncomfortable, like I said, with tingling and pain and um, just General, you know, general discomfort. Really, really discomfort. Uh, depending sometimes on uh, other factors, but um, and there are levels of it. You know, some people get it mild, and some people have more of a problem with it. So it's basically the nerve that has been disrupted and not functioning the way it should. Mm,
0: interesting. So the new trial that you did um, and went on. What was different from the old? And, and was it a double-blind placebo? Did, did you know that whether you were going to get it or not, you got a different treatment? And did the people that were studying you know what treatment you were getting? So um, like I know probably being in your situation where you actually know about the treatment um, and you want a better one, can you opt to say, I want to trial the new one or was it double-blind placebo?
2: It was not double blind uh and it wasn't placebo in oncology oh, placebo would, yeah. Yeah. very very, very rare mm-hmm. because you know it's ethically you, when somebody has cancer, you want to hopefully uh treat them with the drug that will be most effective, and usually it's a in in oncology anyway, it's a couple of drugs, two three drugs to, together, so there was no double blind, there was no placebo. This was um, a, like I said, I was in a phase two trial would just be looking at, does this drug work? And it turned out it did. And then I wasn't in a phase three, which would be the next level when they compare the standard of care, stand, yes, yeah, standard of care drug to the, the newer one. And no, people don't have a choice. Uh, and they are in a trial like that, they are randomized, meaning randomly chosen to go on one arm of the trial or the other arm of the trial. Um, and then I can say, though, too, that if one arm shows that it is much more effective than, like, trial A drug, not trial A, but arm A is more effective than arm B, and everybody on B gets switched over to A. So they don't, you know, kind of stick you on one drug and say, well, it's not doing so well too bad. That's not the way it's done they will at, at a point see that there is a significant difference in either efficacy or side effects and such and then move those people over. So like I said, placebo trials in oncology is super-duper-duper rare and they know exactly what you're getting and how much and when.
0: My uh, sister and my mother both died of cancer. Oh, um, yeah, so. Yeah, and they both chose no treatment.
2: Well, that's an option. Mm. That is an option. I really, initially, before I was working in oncology, didn't really understand that why people would say no. I, I'd rather not, you know, have any chemotherapy treatment. Uh, but I did notice over time that people have the reasons to do what they do, and you learn to respect that. And so, so I have, and I, I understand that. And I hope when people make that choice that they have enough data to feel
0: comfortable that this is the right path for them. Mm. It's interesting. My sister was um, diagnosed with Crest at 25, which is an autoimmune disease with five mm. diseases. And then um, at 40 was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, mm. and, um, which was part of the disease. And we did all the research and she was not well. And so I ended up doing all the research and I went to her and I said to her, you know, these are your options. And one of them was an esophagectomy. Um, -hmm. and that came with complications. And so she chose to have a peg put in her um, body and she fed herself for 12 months and was working on the Friday and died on the Monday. So in my way of thinking, she lived the best life she could. She went skiing. She still um, practised as a chiropractor. She travelled and lectured that whole 12 months. Um, but then the tumour got so big that um, she started bleeding and she bled to death. So, you know, I, I look at her choice and, you know, I, and even on her last day I said, well, you can still have an esophagectomy but the chances of survival are this. And I gave her the stats and she mm. said, "No extraordinary means." So, yeah. And my mum had lung cancer, so um, that was not a good treatment either. So, like, I would have loved to have seen your book. I think it would have been wonderful for them to read, to know their options, uh, and understand, you know, what was available to them. So,
2: sure.
0: let's You're talk. Right. Let's talk. Let's talk about somebody who is facing that situation right now who may be listening to us can you give us um, some steps that are in your book that they have no idea what a clinical trial is they don't even know what their disease is and I know you've given us websites and foundations and things but do you have in your book exactly the steps that they take in order to reach a non-fear-based answer to what is happening to them? Great question. It is a great question.
2: Well, I don't have steps per se that, you know, you do A, B, C, and D. I I don't really have that down. I mean, the book has, like I said, information about trials. That's one chapter. But the beginning, the book starts with how do I find a doctor? How do I (laughs) go about that? And that is really uh, an, an essential step, an essential step. Somebody that you feel really comfortable, somebody who who is well aware that they are educators as well as healers, you know, a physician, nurse practitioner, or PA who will, will listen to you and allow you to really make decisions along with them. So my big thing is talking about working in concert with your physician, learning what you can. Asking, ask, ask, ask. I must have said that a hundred times in the book. Ask for what you need. Ask for more information. Ask for some guidance. Ask for support. And then continue, you know, moving along in that direction. And then the second chapter is about preparing for a visit. Writing down everything. All of the symptoms you're having. And this doesn't necessarily pertain to cancer. It could be any serious illness. Or or newly diagnosed, a new problem that you're having. What symptoms are you having? What have you done to treat it? Are you having pain exactly where it is? uh, How long you've had it? Is anything helping you to feel better? Uh, Do you have to take time off from work? Are you, you know, just really a very clear picture of who you are and what you're dealing with. And then any other information that you might have if you had, any type of scans, an MRI, a CAT scan, if you've had some blood work, any data that you have that you can supply your healthcare professional with is all very valid information that they can use to help diagnose your problem. So finding the doctor, someone who will listen to you, making a list of all of your symptoms and what you have done and what you are willing to do to get better. And any, like I said, any scans, any research that you have that will help them help the doctor or, like I said, any healthcare professional to help you. And that's where you begin. That is really where you begin.
0: What do you think... Of all the alternatives that are out there, so there's Gerson, there's a, a whole series called The Truth About Cancer. There's Brzezinski and he's anti-neoplastin, zeolite. I, you know, I could go on. Diet. What do you think about these alternatives that are out there?
2: Well, years ago when I first started working in oncology, they used to say alternative, and you know, use that term. And then as the years went by they started to call them complementary treatments. And I like that term because I think that really is, it shows that it can be a very supportive therapy. So for me, my own personal take, and I'm not a physician, so I don't give medical advice, but my choice has been traditional medicine. But that being said, there are complementary treatments that can help, like, you know, depending on, as long as, it does not uh, lessen the efficacy of the traditional medicine that you are choosing. Uh, so if you are using a chiropractor, it's fine. If you acupuncture, in addition to any supplements, all of those are can be helpful, supportive ways to get you where you want to be. Mm-hmm. But to eliminate all the traditional medicine, with an illness that's really, really serious. You know, I I personally, for me, that is not what I would choose. But like I said, everybody has to find the place that they are more, most comfortable, you know, whatever it is. Mm. And so I would support their choice of as long as they feel this is the right way
0: forward for them. Then, yeah, that's okay. I love your philosophy. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Before this book, you wrote another book on resilience and I am sure that you would have needed a lot of resilience to go through what you've been through. Mm. Do you want to give us some, uh, I know it's about children and resilience but it must be for adults and resilience too. Do you want to give us some tips on how to be resilient?
2: That is a very good question. (laughs) Well, I think the basis of both the first book called Strong from the Start, Raising Confident, Resilient Kids, and the current one about trust your doctor, but not that much, it's all about trusting yourself. Really, it's about trusting yourself as a parent when your kids are little and growing up, learning to trust them, and then when you have a challenge with your health, learning to trust yourself, too, in addition to trusting the professional healthcare advice that you're getting. And, you know, having, you know, I mean, sometimes people think it's silly to say, but I really do think your attitude does get you through it. It really does. And there are times when it is very hard to be upbeat, when you're not feeling well, when you are dealing with some side effects when you're wondering if this is the right treatment for you. And I just think you just have to wait, reach really deep down and, and find what you can to keep you positive, to keep you motivated, to keep you exercising, to keep you eating properly, to keep me, me when it's things get a little tough. I make sure and I get my meditation in every day. And like I said, I exercise, I walk, I swim, I yoga, I do all that stuff. And that puts your head in a really better place. And your head is, is super important. I don't know if people emphasize that enough. Uh, but it does really aid the healing. I think it's an asset to healing. So how do you become resilient? You just take it one step at a time. You very I try to be very present moment. And like you said, your sister enjoyed the life that she had. She still was working, she was speaking, she was using her skiing skills, her talent in that arena, and trying to maintain a lifestyle so that you're not one hundred percent patient twenty four seven because that will get you so down in the dumps. And so just like I said, doing what Um, what makes you feel good in a lot of ways, emotionally and physically. And like I said, step by step, day by day, and keep hanging in there.
1: It's amazing to me that you raise that point about, um, you know, the mental aspect, the emotional resilience side of things. Because I think, you know, I come from an angle of mind-body connection and that it's all, you know... um, it, it, it all has to work together. I guess in terms of that aspect of it, and coming back to your book, you know, you, it says you, you're it's an, an, an essential roadmap um, for people, especially for those who have a new diagnosis as well. Tell us about the um, the combination and and how you got to that understanding of yourself needing to have. Both the physical and the mental and the emotional um, connection to 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 making sure that you were healthy and, and vibrant and being able to survive what you had to go through there, tell us about the journey that you went through to to, to come to that realization that it was a, a, a combined effort between the head, heart and body
2: you know silly, I just think it was something intuitive to me. I just realized that the Better you are, shape you are in emotionally, the the more. What can I say? What's the right word? The possibilities are greater for you. So if you stay positive, if you realize that, like one of the chapters in the book is called uh, "Keeping Your Head Together Any Way You Can," especially when it gets difficult physically and it challenges your resilience. And challenges everything you think you know about yourself. Uh, it's 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 a it's a, a journey. And how did I come there? That's a really good question. I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Uh, all I know is I was raised by parents who were very much uh, advocates of advocating and trusting yourself. And that was just a philosophy, you know that that I that I grew up with and I just learned more and more that becoming a patient is difficult in every way that you possibly can think of. But the more you try to, like I said, stay in shape, keep your head together, meditate, exercise, hang out with friends. I always say too, sometimes you feel so depressed, you want to have a pint of ice cream, you know, that's okay to do sometimes too. If it gets you to a little more level area, more stable, so that you feel, you know, you can just move ahead. But I really think it was, it was you know, my upbringing and my parents always going forward, moving ahead, taking it all a day at a time. And uh, I just hope that people realize how important it is to have an attitude that, it's all for today, and all everybody has, anybody has, is for today. So you might as well make the best of it and enjoy it and uh, keep on keeping on.
1: Going through what you've been through, I think that all of us that have gone through our own personal um, challenges that are you know, obviously life-threatening, you come out the other side with an understanding or a new perspective about the meaning of life. What has been your understanding of the meaning of life as a result of your own personal journey?
2: Well, if you can be helpful to other people, if my journey makes someone else's journey a little easier, then I'm I'm happy to do that. I I, I truly am because you know I think in this whole world we are dependent on each other and to support and to love one another and to understand that everybody's journey is different, be it a physical journey, an emotional journey, you know, it couldn't be anything where you find that your life is very challenging for presently, you know, at the time. So to offer the support to others, uh based on maybe based on what you have been through, uh and that that brings other people to a better place, that's you know, that would be a great goal. And I just hope that the book and some of the speaking opportunities will will be useful and uh, meaningful. More than anything meaningful to people that they can see that their their journey is difficult and challenging, but that others have taken a similar path and moved through it.
1: I think that's a really big key, isn't it, is for us all to know that we're not alone. You know, because I think that when we, especially, you know, if somebody does get a new diagnosis, it's a very solitary journey in terms of reaching that place of resilience where, you know, you can go, okay, I'm ready for everything that's coming, you know, from the time of diagnosis to that, um, pa- that, that place where you say, okay, okay, I'm ready for, for the journey that in and of itself is a is a really big leap. And I think that most people feel very isolated and very alone and very, um, you know, as much as people want to rally around and be supportive, it's still an individual journey. You can have people walk beside you, but you're still the one who has to go through it. Tell us about the steps that you have in your book that guide people through those initial phases. Tell us about what you've included in there so that our listeners can either, you know, look to see that this is going to be a resource for themselves or for somebody that they know and love?
2: Well, what I talk about in the book too, and I hope people will access it, are support groups because uh, mostly every serious illness has a foundation and a support organization. And that organization can uh, offer really the, 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 or takes away, I should say, the feeling of isolation of, oh my gosh, I'm the only one going through this. And how could anybody possibly understand what I'm going through? And so there are, you know, I do mention that in the book that there are, there are groups that you can meet with wherever you live locally. And there are, like you said, that others are going through this very same problem that you've had. So it's very important to seek those out. I mean, initially, I really wasn't ready to do that because I thought, oh, I don't know. Do I want to hear everybody else's problems? But the truth is that you can get lots of useful tips from other patients uh, that will not be provided by doctors because they'll give you the medical. That's true. But then you'll hear from a patient who will say, you know, I had this acupuncture and that so helped my neuropathy or so helped whatever problem I was, you know, uh, dealing with. So I think that that is Very important for people, and also to know that since treatment is expensive, there is financial aid out there that you can also seek from these support organizations. All you have to do, really, is to Google your illness. You put it in, and then, uh, like the American Cancer Society, the National uh, Psoriasis Foundation, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but there are all kinds of organizations that will provide you with support and information that that you need that is that is really useful nurses talk with nurses they are another great resource pharmacists they will all keep keep yourself open so that the more information the more knowledge you can get about your illness and the more support you can get you'll find that it's it's doable as i like to say it's not what you would choose to do but it is doable, so it's in there about seeking, you know, information from other healthcare professionals and to other patients, and keeping yourself emotionally as well as you can.
0: Mm. I agree with you about the support group. I saw a quote recently, and it was something about um, don't it was it was to the doctor, don't tell me about my disease that I've lived with for the last whatever years. With your one month of study. <laughs> so, I guess that's what your whole thing is. You know, just trusting a little bit um, and then finding and, and even helping them because you often find that is somebody who has lived through a disease, the doctor is taught by that person. And as you said, those support groups, they usually got a, a thousands of people that have been through the issue. And they have some wonderful tips. I often find that, you know, they really know, um, you know, how to help. So what a great, a great tip. Yeah,
2: well, you have to be, you know, ready for it. Like I said, initially I wasn't. I stayed away a little while and then I thought, you know what, I need to open my head and I need to open my heart Mm. and to listen and to hear what other people are going through and what they have done to help themselves, but also to really support them because we're all on the journey. And, you know, in my case, it's cancer, but there are a lot of journeys out there that folks are are now on. You know, not anything that they've done. It's just the way kind of life happens. And so if you can find support for you and also you can provide it, for other people no matter what they're going through i think it's beneficial to both you know because if you feel that you've helped someone there is some pleasure if that's the right word there is some justification there is some feeling good that
0: you've done something worthwhile and so you know it goes both ways yeah i know i know for my sister she isolated herself completely she um, stopped, she asked all her friends not to contact her. Mm-hmm. Um, she told them that she had a disease and they were not to contact her and if she needed them, she'd call them because what she hated the most was the sympathy looks that she'd get because she looked terrible. Mm. <laughs> I can say that now, but yeah. she didn't look good. And I often wonder, you know, if she had gone the way you did, Rena. you know, I wonder, like I was her lifeline. Um when I when she died and I looked at her telephone um bill because I was there to get you know, to cancel everything and I looked at her telephone bill and the all the phone calls were to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, you know, you were her support. Not everybody wants to go to a support group. Yeah. Sometimes if they find a friend or a family member that provides the support, then that that's what they need, you know, and, and we're all we're all different. There's a million different ways. You know, for me, like I said, I do like the support groups and it took a while for me to do that. I can tell you, too, that when I was working as a representative, we used to do this program called Look Good, Feel Good. And we would hire a makeup artist uh, and a hairdresser. uh, And the ladies were, this was with breast cancer. But it could be any. When you really, when you feel like you look lousy and you physically feel lousy, then it's like the double whammy. So if you can, you know, bring some patients together and have some professionals spend a couple of hours making them feel better about themselves because they're looking far better than they did before they, you know, came into like this makeup and hairdressing session, it, it helps. It lifts your spirits a little bit. And, uh, and and that's, like I said, that's all part of this emotional resilience to say, okay, you know what? I'm still me. I haven't lost me. I'm still there. And, you know, temporarily, I'm maybe not my best me, but I'm okay. And this is me, and that's why when I would go to treatment, I would always have a little makeup on, you know, a little makeup, make sure my hair was neat and combed and, you know, wear something that was comfortable but not sloppy and awful looking. Because I, I do think that that cheers you up. It does cheer you up. You know, the look good, feel good is a, uh, a real concept and a meaningful concept.
0: So I think it helps. Kim would have loved to have heard that. She's, she's very much, her book is uh, The um, Art of Self-Care. And mm-hmm. in, no matter what stage of your life, it's so important to, you know, really look after yourself and, and have that self-care. It sounds like uh, your book has a myriad of amazing tips and things for people to do. It sounds like you have really thought about everything. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about or we haven't asked the right question that you would like to share with our audience?
2: Well, let's see. Um, I do think that what I worked on in the book too uh, is – Asking. That's the biggest little word that I can use that everybody needs to use when they are in a healthcare situation. And so it is all about asking for what you need, writing down a ton of questions. Keep writing about the treatment choices. Are there other options for you? Uh, Ask questions about research. Ask for second opinions. If you're not comfortable with this healthcare professional, For any reason, whether you don't feel the emotional comfort, where you're not sure that this treatment is what you want, and, or you think that might be best for you. Um, and ask yourself too, like I always say, what you are willing to do to get well. Maybe you don't have, you know, an illness that is putting you to bed, you know, all the time, but you have some really disabling discomfort. Are you willing to have surgery? Are you or you're not? And so really give some thought as to what you are willing to do to get better. So I'm all about asking. That is the biggest point of the book because the more you ask, the more uh, re- reliable data that you can accrue, the more knowledge you get, the more often then you are able to have a discussion. As my friend always says, I'm ha- going. To my physician as a consultant, they are the people who will give me the expertise of their medical uh, advice, but I also want to make sure that I am very involved in my own care with my own, knowing my own body and asking everything that I possibly can till I get to the place where I feel this is going to be right for me. This is going to be the best that's available for me. And then, then, like they always say, you step into it one step at a time. but do realize that if things are not going the way you hoped they would, then there are other possibilities. there are you can make changes. you are not committed forever and ever to a certain path that's not working for you. So ask, ask, ask. keep asking everybody <laughs> until you're annoying them, uh, but make sure you do so that you have the comfort and the resilience to keep on going.
0: I like that. I think that's wonderful. Ask lots of questions. And if, I guess one of the things I did write down that you said, um, you even question w- what you're doing. Uh, and so you would just then, if you are questioning it, then you would ask. Always.
2: Always mm-hmm. ask. And, and, and people, are what I have found writing this book, and, and just talking to people in general, People are very intimidated in a uh, with a healthcare provider, and it's really not necessary because most of us have not been to medical school. We haven't had that education, uh, but but on the other hand, you know we do have some smarts. We do have a brain, and so give yourself a little confidence and don't feel that you can't ask. Don't feel it's silly. Don't feel that it's unnecessary. If you don't understand what is being said, the medical term, the medication, whatever it is, whatever directions are being given to you, make sure you understand it totally, totally, and keep asking until you do. Really, that's uh, essential, absolutely essential.
0: Mm. In Australia, there's, um, it's a social medical system, so mm-hmm. it's um, free for, you know, for the public. So our doctors are are basically, usually you go in there and you just pass them your card that says you're an Australian citizen and it's all tax-funded. And you only get 12 minutes. Okay. So when that's happening, it's really hard to ask those questions.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. It's very hard. That's why I really feel the more preparation you can do before the visit, so that you know exactly what to ask. You know, I know you can't know everything because you don't always know what's coming up and you may not have all the knowledge, but you do know what's going on with your body. You want to know what is the most current treatment that would be available to you. What would be the side effects? What would you, you know, a lot of the prep is what allows you to make the best juice of that 12 minutes. So even in the States, you know, where I go for treatment, it depends on the practice and the physician. Some will allow you more time, some not. You know, I go to someone who is outside of oncology in a totally different uh, position. His 10 minutes, he gives you 10 minutes. Well, I said, and I did say, I really don't think that within 10 minutes you can (coughs) do a, very excuse me do a really accurate assessment of what's going on with me you know because I need to express my concerns my doubts but uh that's the way it is now so preparing really makes a difference
0: preparation 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 (laughs) I love um I love that you've actually you know said that and it is about being prepared when we we go to our doctors and um, but you're right, 10 minutes isn't a, isn't a lot of time. We have um, integrative doctors here in Australia also and mm-hmm. they will charge but they will give you an hour. And I find that, you know, it's about do you have the finances in order to afford somebody yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. Um, or you listen to information or read books like yours, Rena.
2: Well, think- combination uh, I know when we lived in a part of, uh, North Carolina, there was a wonderful integrative medicine facility and, and even the building itself and the grounds, as soon as you went there, you felt better. I, honest to goodness, I, it's amazing. Uh, but it was, it was quite expensive and something that I couldn't afford to do at the time. But I think if there's any way that you can, it is very, Oh, couldn't I say what's the right word? It's healing. It's healing to be allowed to say what you need to say, ask the questions, feel that you have the time, you know, to, to really discuss whatever is on your mind. And I, I just think it would be great if it's possible for people to do that. There are, uh, in the States now, I, and I don't know about Australia, but there are foundations that will help you. Financially, they will help you pay for the medication, you get a grant, and then there are you know foundations that might help you pay for your health insurance. So depending on what they have in Australia, I wonder if there are foundations there that will do the same for you, that will provide
0: some funding. Are there any like that? Most definitely. And some of them are in our community. Like we have a beautiful one in our community called Bloomfield and it's Mm -hmm. all about, um, it's cancer and they started in a small room in a little, you know, home in the middle of of the Sunshine Coast where we live Mm -hmm. and now they have uh, stores everywhere where people uh, donate products for them to sell they then in turn help all the people in our local area with cancer. So that's just one that I know of. So we're very fortunate. We also have a scheme in Australia called the PBS Scheme scheme, and that is um, the government pays for your prescriptions if they're Mm. on the scheme. Yeah, you like I go to America and I see your insurance system and your healthcare system and how expensive it is. If you came to Australia, you'd like go, wow. This is kind of cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very cool. Well, I remember when we lived in the UK for a little while, and then you would go what they used to call to the surgery, to the doctor's office, uh, and that was their national healthcare system. But then, if you wanted to and you could afford it, you could then go to a private provider and get more time, you know, uh, and and so forth, and so. You know, it, it really depended on your, your finances here. Here it's tough. It is tougher, but there is help and that's all about asking. People don't even know that it's available. And, and sometimes the doctors are in a hurry. Like you said, 12 minutes. Yeah, you know, wherever you are, you know, in the US or in Australia or anywhere, time is limited unless you have a lot of money. But that being said, there are ways to get some money to help pay for the medication and you know you have to provide some information so that they know that you would be eligible for help financial help but um many people are and if you can get that you know then wonderful so like i said help you pay for insurance help you to sometimes prescription drugs depending on the type of plan that you have so there is support and help out there, but you got to ask. You must ask so that you learn. I read a book when I first started treatment. I didn't even know where all this stuff was. But there was another patient talking about support who wrote all about where to go for financial aid. And that book cost me $10 and I have to tell you, that was the best $10 that I ever spent.
0: That's pretty good.
2: Amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Rena, this has been an amazing podcast and unfortunately we're out of time, but it's been spectacular to have this conversation with you. Where can our listeners find your book? What's the best way for them to track you down and and follow what you're doing?
2: Well, you know, the book is available on Amazon. So if anybody would like it, there it is, Trust Your Doctor, but not that much. And then I have a website, renawiner.com. So there are recordings of... Interviews like this one, um, some TV interviews and blog and so forth. So that is reinawanda.com,
0: dot rcom That's me. Awesome. I'll make sure it's in the show notes so that everybody can um, find you very easily. Thank you. Appreciate it. Amazing.
1: Rina thank you so much for being a part of today's show and for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your advice for our listeners. You've been a Absolute joy and blissful to listen to. So, thank you so much for being, for going through this on behalf of humanity and then for coming out the other side and sharing your experiences
2: and knowledge. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. you are inviting me to the show. Thank you yeah. so much.
1: Thank you so much. And for all of our listeners, to find out more about Rena, to follow her, go to the show notes and you can find everything that you need at all the com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also go to allthewws.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash Up For A Chat. Most importantly, join us here next week on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody.